Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're excited you're here, and we hope today's message encourages you, builds your faith, and brings you hope for the future. May God bless you as you listen in to today's message. Let's get into this word today. I'm excited about this word. Uh, I will say that uh, in this word, it's a strong word. It's a, it's a hard word, and it's a word of reality. Uh, this morning in the first service, three-fourths of the congregation uh, raised their hand to this for God's freedom in this area. Uh, I want to talk to you today about you can love again. You can love again, and a lot of times it's hard for us to love because of the things that we've gone through in our lives and because of hurts, pains, setbacks, expectations that were let down, we're afraid to love again. And uh, through this message, I pray that, guys, you will be able to open your heart as I had to open my heart when I was 18 and a half years old. In this message, I'm going to share with you some real traumatic things that happened in my own personal life to let you understand if there was anyone that could hate someone or not love someone, it was me. But in my relationship with Christ, God set me free to be able to love again. And now my slogan, my anthem, my theme for my life is that I love God. First and foremost, God, that I love you. But through my love with God, I love you. So my anthem is, I love God, and I love people. And Cheryl and I want to say sincerely from this pulpit, we love you. Thank you for being you. And I want you to know it's through my relationship with God that God wiped away the garbage and brought in the new. And I pray that today, as I share some of my testimony in my life, that it will help you to love again. So take out your sermon notes. Last week we talked about fear speaks louder, stronger, and forceful to intimidate you. We talked about that last week, that fear will intimidate you and stop you in your tracks from going forward in your future and your plans that God has for you. If you're walking in fear, it will roar at you like Goliath did to David, and all the Israelites ran, but David ran to his fear. He didn't run from his fear, but fear will intimidate you. Fear speaks hope, peace, and assurance. Faith, faith speaks, but not fear. Faith, amen. Faith speaks hope, peace, and assurance. Man, ain't, ain't, ain't that right about faith? But look at I love what it says. To illuminate truth about you and your future. That's what truth does. It illuminates truth about who you are. And it tells you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are awesome in God's sight, that he loves you for just who you are and not who you're not, that God loves you. That's what faith does. It illuminates the truth about you. So whenever you feel like in a dark moment in your life, you have to remind yourself that's not truth because that is a lie. The opposite of truth is darkness. And darkness it does what? It finds you. It puts fear. It puts intimidation in your life, but truth makes visible and gives you freedom to understand that that's who I really am. I am a child of God. But also it says this, faith says, you, fear says you can't. Fear says you can't. 
I, you can't do this. You, you're not qualified. You're not good enough. That's what fear says, that you can't. But faith says, as we talked about last week, faith says you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's what faith says. I can do all things. I can with Christ. On my own ability, my own strength, absolutely not. But you and God make a majority. And because you and God make a majority in your life, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But in Psalms 34, David talks about there. And if you know anything about David, David, man, had a lot of highs and lows of life. He was human just like you and me. As many of you read about the Psalms, Psalms is a book, man, where David is one day he's down, the next day he's up. The one day he's down, the next day he's up. But in the midst of being down and up and down, up and down like a teeter-totter, in Psalms 34, he recognizes how big and awesome his God is. You see, David said in Psalms 23 that many of you can quote, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And David recognized and realized, even though I may be down in the dumps or maybe down in the valley of my life, I know that, God, you are omnipresent and you are with me even in the good times and the bad times of my life. But David learned the secret in Psalms 34, starting with verse 1. Watch what he says. I will extol the Lord at all times. Not when it just feels good. At all times. That God, I am going to explore you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you honor, even in the hard times of my life. You see, it's easy to praise God when you're going through good things in your life. I always say it's easy to sing a happy tune when everything is going great. It's always, man, when you're going through the bad times of your life, what do you do? You sing the blues. What song are you singing right now in your life? Are you singing a happy tune or are you singing the blues in your life? It's easy to sing a happy tune. God. God, I love you, I love you, I love you. Because maybe you got blessed and maybe this happened in your life and something great happened. Oh, God, you're great. But the next day, what happened to that song? Are you now singing the blues? He's saying, you've got to praise me at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. You can always tell what a person's been reading. Because you know what they do? What they've been reading, they're going to tell you. What's in their heart is going to come out on their lips. So you can always tell if somebody's listened to CNN or Fox or read the newspaper because guess what they're going to do? They're going to dump it on you. Whoop, there it is, good or bad. They're going to tell you. Man, they're going to watch a video. They're going to tell you, right? And you know what? What he's saying is what's in your heart is going to come out of you. And if you are always extorting the Lord and worshiping God and keeping him on the forefront, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come out of you. It's going to be evident by what's coming out of your lips, out of your mouth. My container or my heart is full of the presence of God. Right? So then he goes on to say in verse 2, he says, I will glorify, I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Let the afflicted, those who are suffering, maybe going through some trials in your life, hear that and rejoice in what? Knowing that my God is in control. Verse 3. He goes on. Now watch this. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The glorified means to magnify. Magnify means to make big in your life, in your heart, 
in your circumstances that, God, I'm going to make you bigger. And the more you make God bigger, the less your problems are. The more you make God bigger, the smaller your problems become. Because you know that my God is bigger than all my struggles of my life. He is bigger than my struggles. My struggles are nothing to God because God is almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient God. He can make my problems nothing because he is bigger than everything I face. Now watch this. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He answered me. God always answers your prayers. Now, you got to get this. This is where a lot of Christians fall short of. God answers your prayers. Always answer your prayers. Now, remember, he answered them this way. He answered them according to how he sees fit. What happens where we get discouraged with God, that God may not answer your prayer the way you want it to be answered. How many of you ever had this happen? You had to tell your kids no. And when you told your kids no, you say, hey, why, mommy? Why, daddy? Why can't I do this? Why can't I? And they tell you, I hate you. I don't like you. Why don't you let me do that? And your response is, because I know what's best. Is not God your Abba Father? Does he not know what's best for your life? Does he not know every hair on your head? And if he knows every hair on your head, guess what? He knows every situation and circumstance in your life. And not only does he know them, but he also knows how to direct them. He also knows how to fix them. He also knows how to direct you through them. So sometimes we feel that God doesn't answer. I always say this, that God, you move in me. God, move in me. I empty out. Then through me and then out of me. So God, move in me, through me, and out of me so that God, people may see, sense, and feel that there's something different in me knowing that, God, you live in me. So I love this. Watch this. Verse 5. It says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. In other words, you can always tell those who are liberated and free in Christ. They don't have the frown. You know, it takes more muscles to frown than it does a smile. They, they've got a radiance on them. Man, after service in the first service, man, somebody came up to me. I said, man, I said, Sue, you are just radiating with God. She said, Pastor, you just set me free from some of the fears that I was going through in my life. And she said, I'm just, man, so excited. She was actually looking like Moses coming down off the mountain. She was radiating. You could see that she was delivered from things that she was going through in her life. See, when you're in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. He that the sun sets free is free indeed. The reason why you can radiate or have that on your face is because, God, you know that my God is in control. And he makes me happy, glad, and not sad and mad because he is is in control. Therefore, I'm going to project this confidence of knowing that God is with me. And watch this. He says this. In verse 1, I will extort the Lord at all times. Now, you got to get this. you got to get this in your heart. Watch this. You must determine. You. Every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. you got to get this. Every one of you are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, guess what? You can't ride on the shirt tails of your pastor. You can't ride on the shirt tails of your mom or your dad, your grandma or your grandpa, your aunt or your uncle. It's you. And you're going to have to give account of yourself, of what you know and what you've done and who you are in Christ. You're going to have to stand, and you're going to hear either two things. Well done, thy good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. You determine your steps. You determine your life. 
by what you do for God and how you live for God and all these things, you determine that. You see, just not all, the Bible says not all who say Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because you say it doesn't mean you live it or believe it. It's two different things. You can say all you want. Even the devils believe there's a God, James 2.19, but you got to live what you believe. you got to be a Christian or Christ-like, not only in your lifestyle or in your words, but who you are in Christ, that people know, sense, and feel that you are peculiar and different because Christ lives in me. But watch this. You must determine each day to have a mindset to praise him in all circumstances. God, I may not like what I'm going through right now, but God, I'm determined to praise you. I'm determined to praise you. I'm not going to add to the fire. I'm not going to add to this, but God, I don't understand. It's hard to praise God when you're going through the struggles. But praising brings deliverance. When Paul and Silas were in jail at midnight, the Bible says in the book of Acts, when they were caught in a cell there at midnight, they began to praise their God. I will praise him. I will praise him. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. And as they began to praise him, their bondages were free. You see, praises opens up the door for freedom, for deliverance, and peace in your life. So when you're going through the struggles, don't add fuel to the struggle. Man, lift up your praises. God, I don't understand you. And it may not, God, it may hurt right now to praise you. But, God, I'm determined that I'm going to praise you. I love this. The way you start your day off determines the direction your day will go. How many of you know that's true? I shared this story several years ago, a couple of years back here at the old building, but it's so true, so prevalent. When I was pastoring in Grand Junction, Colorado, I'll never forget that day when I got up, I had a long, busy day schedule. Man, my schedule is just booked from one thing to another. And I got up, and I kid you not, and I have to sleep on the right side of the bed because I have nerve damage in my right leg because of my back surgery. So I have to kick this leg out a lot of times because the covers irritate my leg. And so I have to kick this leg out, and I sleep with this leg without covers on it, blah, blah, blah. So I always have to sleep on the right side of the bed. So that morning there in Grand Junction, Colorado, I turned, and I started getting out of bed. And all of a sudden, I was complaining. Man, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this. And I was making my day, and I was making this anthill into a mountain. I was starting to feel heavy already and miserable. And all of a sudden, Bill, I kid you not, the Lord struck me. He said, knock it off. <laughs> so you know what I did? I kid you not. I got back in bed. I crawled over my wife who was sound asleep. She thought I was putting a move on her. I said, hey, baby. She said, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and I crawled over her, and I got out of the other side of the bed, and I said, thank you, Jesus. And I had to make a choice that I'm not going to start this day off complaining. I better reverse the curse. And I crawled back in bed, crawled over the top of her, put my feet back on the ground, said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will and I shall rejoice in it. You determine your day. Right? My wife thought, hey, honey, oh, I'm sleeping, but oh, yeah. I started singing, my baby loves the hanky-panky. <laughs> but she didn't want to then. But you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, it says these words. Watch this. How many want to be in the will of God? I want to be in the will of God. I, I truly 
want to be in the will of God. In order to be in the will of God, you have to die to self. John the Baptist said, decrease, God, that you may increase. Jesus said, let it not be my will, even when he was on the cross, but what? Your will. In other words, you have to die to yourself, die to your will, die to your thoughts, die to your feelings, die to your emotions, die to your anger, and take up your cross and follow him. But he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. He says these words. He said, give thanks in all circumstances. We're getting ready to go into November, and I'm so excited about our lineup and what we're doing for November. It's called Thankful. And we're doing something that we've never done here, or nor have I ever done it in any of the other previous churches. And we're doing something. I'm excited. We're going to have a lot of, a lot of special guests. You'll see what we're doing. It's going to be really cool. We're doing something really cool. Be thankful. Thanksgiving is all about being thankful. Be thankful in all circumstances. Now watch what it says. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, an attitude of gratitude determines your altitude of how you're going to fly in life. That if I make a choice that, God, I don't understand it, I don't like it, but, God, I'm going to be thankful for it. You ever notice the story about Ruth and Naomi? Ruth was married to Naomi's son. You know the story? They went off to a foreign land. Ruth left her family, went with Naomi and Boaz, her, her husband Boaz and all these things. And when she got there, what happened was is Ruth had lost all her husband, her kids. Naomi lost her son. Now watch this. One of the greatest things that God is in the business of restoring brokenness in your life. Ruth decided to stay with Naomi. And because she did, she went out and gleaned the fields. And you know the story, a Boaz came into her life. And from the Boaz coming into her life meant being restored from the brokenness that she went through. And here's the great thing. After Naomi lost everything, all her sons, her family, her husband, even her wealth, God did something great. The last chapter of the book of Ruth, Ruth says, Naomi, what did she do? Jamie, she took her prized possession, the restoring of a generation, and she placed the little baby in Naomi's lap and said, God has restored the brokenness in our lives. Here's the key. Ruth could have quit. Ruth could have complained. Ruth could have given up. Ruth could have said, why this, why that? She could have went back to her own family, but she chose to stay with Naomi. And she chose to give God thanks because she did. God blessed her. Listen, when the praises go up, the thankfulness, the blessings come down. And that's why God said, if you want to be in the center of my will, start to praise me. You see, listen, the will of God starts and ends with a grateful and thankful heart. Grateful and thankful are like the bookends that hold everything together. If you can't be grateful and thankful for the little things, don't ever expect to be blessed with bigger things. God will never bless you with more if you can't appreciate what you got right now. 
you got to be thankful, God, I had this little. When the, the widow was going to lose all, everything she had, and she had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and Elijah said, make me a cake. But the lady said, I only have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and that's all we're going to have, and then we're going to die. But here's her words. But because you said so, I will do it. And God blessed her that beyond that famine, she had more than she could even fathom. You see, sometimes what you have to do with your little, you have to give it to God and say, God, I'm thankful for what I do have. And then get ready to see the blessings start falling. Be grateful and thankful, holding the things together. But verse 3 of Psalms 34, you notice what it says, glorify the Lord with me. In other words, David is inviting you into his company of saying, glorify the Lord. Today, when we came together, we began to glorify, magnify, lift up, and exalt the name of Jesus. Do you know what glorified means? Glorified, in essence, means to magnify. When you magnify something, you make it bigger. So when you came into here, you maybe came tired, fatigued, wore out, frustrated, whatever. But I don't know about you, but after I got done worshiping, man, I felt like I could leap over mountains today. How many can talk what I'm talking about? Amen. You feel that? You, did you feel it? It was so exciting because you know why? I magnified my God and I magnified and glorified him that my problems became small and he became bigger. So if you have your notes, glorify or magnify means to make the Lord bigger. That God, I want to make you bigger. But here's how it is. Number one, Glorify or magnify the Lord in your heart. In your heart. If you have your notes, the bigger the container, the more you can put in. The bigger your heart, the bigger God gets. How do you make your heart big for God? By giving up those things in your life that you need to give up. God, I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. Why do we sing that song? Because your heart will only become as big of what you give to God. And there's some things in your life that maybe you need to surrender. Maybe there's some things in your life that are holding you back from the fullness of God. Maybe you need to surrender anger in your life. Maybe you need to surrender jealousy in your life. Maybe you need to surrender some things in your life that is holding back and keeping your heart at 80% capacity where God can't have the full heart. And you can only have the fullness of God until you surrender that which you give him. And that which you give him, then God can take and rearrange and fix. But that which you hold on to, God can't fix. He will never break in. He will only take what you give him. So, God, I'm going to surrender the hidden things of my life so that my heart can be full of you. So the question is, what things do you need to surrender to make your heart bigger to God? Another one is glorify him or magnify him in your mind. The battlefield starts in the mind. Listen to this. The more you glorify him in your mind, the bigger he becomes and the problems become smaller. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants you to fix your mind or your thoughts on the problem. And what you feed is going to grow. What you starve is going to die. So if you're always fixing your mind on the problem, guess what? The problems in your mind are going to grow. 
And then all of a sudden you're going to have all this anxiety, fear, worry, and frustration because you know what? You magnified the problem instead of magnifying your God. And God is the problem solver or the mountain mover. And if you always have your mind on the problems, guess what? The God, the solver, and the mountain mover can't intervene because you're fixing your eyes on him and the problem instead of God. And God says, listen, what a man thinketh in his heart, so he will be. So, God, I'm fixing my mind on you. You're becoming bigger than my problems. Another one is this. Glorify or magnify him in your conscience. Always having a conscious awareness that God is with me. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He is always there. And if you have your notes, listen. Having an awareness of him makes you feel confident and assured that everything is going to be okay. Man, God is like your big brother. He's always there. That he's always there to help you, to aid you in your time of need. So if you have an awareness that my God is with me, even though I may feel frightened or I fear, God, I know that you never leave me nor forsake me. And not only do you never leave me nor forsake me, but God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God, my, I am consciously aware that God, you are with me. So I always say to people, listen, I always say to people, so check this out. If you are consciously aware that God is with you, then can I ask you a question? Why do you take God into the places that you go to sometimes? Dun, 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 dun. You see, consciously aware that God, you are with me. Another one is this. Magnify or glorify him in your faith. And this is where I want to get to because this is where we're going to go into where the rubber meets the road right here. All right? Magnify or glorify him in your faith. That means that, God, I'm going to magnify you in my faith, which means that, God, I'm going to trust you even when it hurts. Faith means I'm going to trust you even when I can't see things. Faith means, God, even I'm going to trust you even when it hurts. That, God, I'm going to magnify my faith. I'm going to put my hope in you. That's why Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So, God, I'm going to magnify my faith. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I don't have faith right now. Well, let me tell you, that's not true. Every one of you have been given a measure of faith, the Bible says. As Caleb said, you had a mustard seed that was planted in your life. That mustard seed turned into a tree that the birds perched on its branches. So you have faith. But you have to magnify that faith. You have to speak to that faith. You have to believe in that faith and know that God is bigger than all your situations. So, God, I may feel powerless, empty. I don't feel like I have faith. But what you magnify is going to grow. So, God, I'm going to magnify that little mustard seed. And, man, it's going to turn into an almond seed. It's getting bigger. you got to magnify it. you got to believe. I'm going to trust you. I love what it says in 1 John 4. Verse 8, verse 18, watch this. You got to get this. This is where, now, I'm going to share with you some things and because I believe that this is where people really fall short in what God really wants to do in their lives. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You ever think about that? Perfect love drives out fear. 
What is perfect love? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he so believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's perfect love, that he gave his best and nothing less. But it didn't stop there. Now, you got to get this. When God gave his best and nothing less, it didn't stop there. It was only the beginning. Here's why he said perfect love casts out fear, that when you approach God, He's not going to tell you you're a loser. He's not going to tell you you're overweight. He's not going to tell you you're too skinny. He's not going to tell you that you're, you're ugly. He's not going to say things that are going to bring pain to your life. And because he's not saying things that's going to bring pain to your life or shame to you or hurt to you, you can go to God with confidence that God is going to receive me just as I am. How many of you ever had to change your hairstyle? Or maybe even the way you look or dress because you wanted to impress someone. What do they say? You got to dress to impress. And sometimes in our lives what we do, we want to become somebody we're not only so that we can impress them so that they what? Love us. And I'm here to tell you the perfect love that God has given to us. He loves you just as you are. With and without your flaws, he loves you. You, signed, sealed, and delivered, amen. God loves you. Amen. He loves you. So because you have that confidence that I'm not going to get rejected or cast aside or pushed away, that's why he says you come to me as orphans and I will receive you, I can have that confidence. But perfect love casts out all fear. You know that love is given. Now get this. Love is given. And love is received. Do you know that they say that an infant at two years old, two years old, and you can study this yourself, an infant at two years old starts to understand or comprehend about giving back love. How many grandparents melt when your grandkids tell you, Papa, Ama, I love you. Especially when they hug you, they run up to you. Ooh, I feel good. Right? But love is given. Until I, I look up here and I think, man, I got all these nieces, man. Every one of my nieces, I think they're in full bloom right now. They must have drank the same water. Everybody's having baby, 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 babies, right? And uh, you know what's cool? Man, my, my niece Abby, she's one of my older nieces. Her and Colton just had a little baby boy. And maybe you've seen it on my Facebook page. Man, she's always putting pictures out there about love, about this little boy that she has. That little infant... Now, get this. Roxy is receiving love. I look over here, man, Chase, you and your wife, you got your little one, and you're giving love to that little infant. But that little infant really doesn't know how to understand love until two years old. Now, watch this. I'm 50, 61 years old. Now, you got to get this. For 59 years, I have now received love. And I given love. But in my 59 years of receiving and giving love, guess what? It hasn't sometimes been lovable. In my 59 years of receiving love and giving love, I've been hurt. I've been rejected. I've been put down. I've been gossiped about. I've been all these things. And sometimes, how many know what I'm talking about? When you were able to understand what love is, You've experienced pain, whether it be from somebody you love, somebody that you don't love, or whatever, friend, family, or, or, or not a friend. You've experienced or received 
love. You see, many people are afraid to love because of being hurt. How many know what I'm talking about? You burn me once, you're not going to burn me twice. Three strikes, you're out, I'm not going to get to the third strike because you're not going to burn me again. And sometimes some of us are carrying that into relationships even now. That you got burned when you were two years on from this years. You got burned somewhere along the line. And you have taken those two strikes into your relationship with maybe some of you with right now. And because you're carrying the two strikes and you're not going to let the third strike happen, you're not loving completely the way you should be giving your love to someone that you're with. And you're walking around limp and you're only giving 80% of your love to that person because you already got two strikes that you're carrying in your pocket that happened in your life 59 years that I had these, these struggles in my life. I'm walking with these two strikes and because of that, I'm holding in my pocket. You are not going to burn me again. So I'm only going to love you 80%. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you maybe are in your relationship right now. Husbands and wives, boyfriend and girlfriends, friends. You're only going to let your friends in so far because she or he hurt me, and you are definitely not going to hurt me. And you're not giving the fullness to what God wants. Like this, watch this. Love requires being vulnerable. Oh, that's, that's a tough one. I'm not sticking my neck out there again. I'm not being open again. And that is very frightening to someone who has really been hurt. I think we all been hurt in our lives. How many can relate to what I'm talking about? Now, I want to be transparent with you, and I was in the first service. Many of you, you see me up here, and you see that Cheryl and I are doing very well, and God has blessed us with great kids, and we've been very blessed along our lives let me just tell you this. It never was like that before I was 18 and a half years old. What you don't know about me was my three fathers and my three mothers. Yes, you do know that. But what you don't know is that this pastor was hurt severely. My first father and my nieces and my brother and my sisters are watching him right now. Hi, guys. So they're verified. This. They're all watching right now. What you don't know, my real father left us in the middle of a ghetto and my two sisters, Rhonda and Gail, were dying of jaundice. And man, at that time, they didn't have a cure for jaundice and we had to quarantine our house and we had to get out of the house and man, we had no food. And man, we were talking about this on one of the bus trips yesterday about eating commodity and having welfare and my first time ever knowing that I had a new clothes is when they took me to J.C. Penney and a social worker took me there. I got to pick out my first pair of jeans and pants, I mean, a shirt. And the hurt that I had. Then my second father came along. They had my little sister Angela. And my second father came around. And he was thrown in Wampon Penitentiary. What you don't know is that my second father was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That when he got married to my mom, he turned into a Dr. Jekyll. But before he did that, he was awesome. He was lovable. Man, he was kind. But as soon as he married my mom, he turned into a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And what I mean by that. Is Colton, you played basketball. Every time I went up for a shot and I played basketball, I was afraid to play Ralph. I knew I could beat him hands down without a doubt. But every time I went up for a shot, he punched me. My rib cages all the way down from my belt line was always black and blue on both sides of my ribs. Because every time I went for a shot, bam, 
He nailed me. He come into my bedroom at night, put a pillow over my head on the top bunk, my brother on the bottom bunk, and just punched me for no reason. Bam, bam, bam. Today I still have the bumps on my head. Hurt. My third father turned me into alcoholic. People say, well, pastor, how did you become an alcoholic? My third father owned a bar. And because I was so full of hatred, anger, and bitterness in my life, I couldn't love. When people would come into my life, man, I would growl at them, just be mad, mad at the world. He took me to the Beacon Bar there in Racine, Wisconsin, on Douglas Avenue. Look it up for yourself. He'd take me all the way down to the end of the bar. He'd get me drunk as a skunk, and he'd say, CJ, what is wrong with you? That's how I became an alcoholic and into the drug addicts, all that I became. If there's anyone that had a right to hate, it was me. And when I went on to Bible school, I got introduced to this Jesus. Three months later, I went on to Bible school. Didn't even know what Jesus was really all about, but I knew that I wanted to get close to this God. Maybe some of you are having the same situation in your life. That when I would pray, it felt like, man, every time I pray, come back and hit me in the face. Bing, 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 bing. I thought, God, why can't I sense you, feel you, or hear your voice? Man, all my friends at North Central, man, they're hearing your voice. They're reading your word. What is wrong with me? Now I'm dating Cheryl. And Cheryl knew the story about what my fathers did. And she said, you know what you got to do? You got to forgive your dad. I used to get so mad at her. It was like, man, she would poke me, man, and just get that. My mom would always gather everybody at Christmas time because my little sister was by my second dad. She would, he would always invite Ralph to come. Check this out. He would always invite Ralph to come to be a part of our Christmas. And how many of you know that puts a damper on your, Christi- on your Christmas when you see your enemy right in front of you? I was so full of hatred. I couldn't love. I couldn't accept love. I went through a broken relationship. I, man, with Janet, I tried to commit suicide. I strung out on acid. My vein was popping so bad. Man, it was blushing, gushing blood coming out of my vein. My sister put her hand on my, my vein all night long. She laid at the foot of my bed. I was kicked out of my house when I was a junior in high school because I hated people. I hated my mom. I hated my dad. She laid there on my bed all night long. I couldn't go to the hospital because I was so high, so messed up. Six surgeries on my nose because of cocaine and all that I did in my life. You talk about pain. You talk about not loving. You talk about hating. That was me. And if I had a right to do that, me. My wife said, you need to go. He's straight from me right where you're at, Steve. You need to ask Ralph for forgiveness. Eighteen and a half years old, Mary. If there was anyone that had a right, some of you are carrying garbage and baggage in your life and you're holding on to it as a prize bull. I got a right to be mad. Let me just tell you this. It's not worth it. It steals your joy, your zeal, your fire, your passion, and most of all, your relationship and your closeness with God. And when I walked up to Ralph and finally went over by him, I said, Ralph, I need you to forgive me. And it opened up the heart of forgiveness. And God took those scars and turned them into stars, those stumbling blocks into stepping stones. Because I gave him my pain. Some of you are walking hurt. You're like the show, The Walking Dead. You look great on the outside, but the inside you're dying. You see, many of our hurts come 
from unrealistic expectations. We say things like this. How often when we get hurt do we say things or expect? I expect it more from him or her. How many have ever said that before? But can I show you a depiction of love? Here's what love is. 1 Corinthians 13. Watch this. Love is patient. How many of you get impatient? Because you get impatient, you take out your wrath on the one that's closest to you. Love is patient and being understanding and sympathetic of each other. And every time you get impatient and you roar, you're putting up the walls of separation. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does, is not proud. It does not dishonor each other, put each other down, disrespect each other. Every time you do that, can you imagine? It's like cutting off the arm of your spouse. It's like cutting off the arm of your kid when you put them down. They may look strong on the outside, but on the inside, they're like an apple that's bruised if you bite into it. It looks great on the outside, but on the inside, it's all bruised and soft because of the dishonor. And sometimes you don't even realize you're dishonoring because you're so full of hatred, bitterness, and feeling that spirit of rejection in your life that you take it out on the ones that are usually closest to you. Now watch this. It is not self-seeking my way or the highway. If she or he doesn't do this, I'm going to take my toys and run. It's not love. How many are doing that now? My way. It is not easily angered, always having a short fuse. It keeps no records of wrongs. Just think, Jesus forgave you, but why can't you forgive others? Why can't you forgive your spouse? Why can't you forgive your husband? Why can't you forgive your wife? Why can't you forgive your kids? Because what wrong does, what, rec what, what opposite of love does, it keeps records of the wrong so you can get even somewhere down the line. With God, you never get even. You just let go and let God. Watch this. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Now watch this. Watch verse 7. Here's a depiction. This is who we should be. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. That's what love is. That's what love is. You see, love comes with many different facets, not just with the feel-good. Love accepts the good with the bad when it even hurts. Fear will hold you back from love, but love forgives and moves forward. We don't have to go to first, first lesson. I'm going to read for my notes. We don't love when we don't love, we are held in death from real joy and peace. You can read that verse for yourself. When you don't love, what it does, it just pulls you in, sucks the life out of you. Some of you are this. Watch this next one. Don't be the walking dead where you exist, but life seems meaningless. Love comes from God and is received from us. Now watch this. Love comes from God and received from us. And flows back to God. And now watch this. 
It's kind of like a water filtration system in a coffee shop that we have three different filters. The time it hits that coffee machine, it's gone through three different filters. It's taken out all the impurities. It comes from God. It flows back to God. That's the second filter. And then it comes back to us that we can give it to others. That when you see and love people through the eyes of God, you're going to look at people differently. I love this. Back to God and then to others. You want to love people. You should love people the same way that you want to be loved. In the same way that you want God to love. I got to get moving here. Watch. I got to close. Love opens the door for second chances. It gives you an opportunity. Second chances. God gave you one. Can we give others? Fear closes the door to relationships and friendships. Are you holding on to fear from past relationships that keep you, keeping you from new ones? Are you holding on to that baggage and you're trying to enter into a new relationship? But I'm here to tell you, if you don't deal with it now, you're just going to take your garbage into a new relationship. And sooner or later, it's going to affect that too. Dealing with it. Fear's mission is to separate, divide, and conquer friendships and relationships. Now, we got to, I'm going to blow through this because I, I want to give you some steps. And these steps, I kid you not, a reality that I had to learn in my own personal life. So I'm giving you a manuscript that I had to walk out in my own personal life. Steps to breaking the fear and restoring love. Number one, I'm going to blow through these. Start out slow. Take baby steps that will lead to bigger steps. And learning to love again doesn't mean you have to jump right in. You start out slow. That, God, you're going to take my heart of stone, and I'm going to open it up. I'm going to give you a crack. And, God, I'm going to eventually see where that goes. Baby steps. Share a little and see where it goes. You know what? I always do this with friendships, and I'm going to give you a key. I'll share a little bit of information because information is power. And the, man, they love, people love hearing power from your pastor. They love hearing information from their pastor because, listen, that means, man, it's coming from orders from headquarters. The pastor said it. So that gives them power. So what I do, you know what I'll do? I'll sprinkle a little bit of power, a little bit of information. And guess what I'll do? I'll wait and see if it comes back full circle. And if it comes back full circle, I go, shoe fly, don't bother me. I can't trust you. Dum, doo, 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 right? You start out slow. See where it goes. Give it an opportunity again. Another one. Baby steps. Go into a group setting with people. Start getting out with people again. Start getting acclimated again. Start getting comfortable with people, learning with people. Man, you know that yesterday, man, there was 30-some of us yesterday. And Sue, and they, they, they might have known this. You know that every person that Chris was on that trip, you know what I did? I intentionally, intentionally went to Bill to Sue, to Lucy, to Sherman, every person that was on that trip, to Terry, to Maureen, every person, I intentionally went to them to talk to them. You know why? Because I wanted to let them know that this pastor loves you, cares about you, and wants to hear your story. And you should hear some of the stories. It was awesome, man. I mean, <laughs> right, Sue? We had some great stories. Get an acumen. Another one's this. Baby steps. Come from an open heart. That, God, I'm going to open my heart again. Some of you have closed your heart. And because you closed your heart, you even closed your heart to the people around you. And you're like a porcupine. You can't be loved when you got all these 
fist, you know, porcupine needles sticking on people. They're going to they're gonna repel you. You got to open your heart again. Give it an opportunity. Give it a second chance. Baby steps. Walk from your past hurts to your new future. When I was 18, I had to let go of my past hurts. I beat my mother up, and I shared this in the first story. Service, I can't share it now. But I beat my mother up so bad that I beat up the whole side of her right face that my sister Ron and Gail pulled me off of her. Because I was so full of hatred and bitterness. When my mother said to me, my, I walked into the hallway of my mother's home. I came home from, man, I was kicked out of my home when I was a junior in high school. I came home to visit my mom. And my mom had all these pictures, all these collages of pictures on the wall there in the hallway. And one of the pictures that happened to be my sister Marlis, who's watching today, who who's, was in a group called Love's Call. A group called Love's Call. And they were a gospel Christian group. And they were raising their hands like we Pentecostals do, Right? And they were raising their hands, and I looked at that, and I thought, this looks kind of strange. And so I said to my mom, I said, Mom, what is that picture right there? What is Marlis and that group doing? They got their hands raised. They look like they're it's crazy. Here's how, Jamie, how full of hatred I was. My mom said to me, she said, oh, that's Marlis and her group loves call, and they're worshiping. Now get this. They're worshiping and praising God. And then she said these words, and I went off the rocker. She said, they're worshiping and praising God like I wanted you to. You know what I did? You think I'm proud of this? But this is what hurt does to people when you can't love again. When my mom said that, I took her by her shoulders, and I'm not forgetting her bedroom door was way down at the end of the hallway. I took her, and my mom was small. She was like your build patty. And my mom just, wait. I threw her down the hallway. She fell on the ground. I said, Mom, don't you ever talk to me about Jesus again. Talk about hate. That was me. Don't you ever tell me about that. Learn to let go of my past to walk into my future. And the reason why I'm saying this is today because... Randy, in the first service, you should have saw, man, three-fourths. I didn't call them forward because I made it very sacred. They were crying. It was, I had to let go. Baby steps, turn your hurts and anger over to him. God, I'm going to give it to you. What are you angry about? What is keeping you back from loving? Is it worth it? Baby steps to forgive. To forgive. What do you need to ask somebody to forgive you about what you need to let go of? Baby steps to receive the love again. Love is given and love is received. You got to give it back. You're the infant. 59 years since I was two to now, I've experienced love and I've given back love. But in experiencing my love, it wasn't always easy. But I made the choice to forgive the day you were born, you started with baby steps. The day you were born, Molly, you started with baby steps. But watch this. Now that you're born again, you start with baby steps. But this time, you're not alone. That God is walking alongside you, Stephanie, and he's saying you can do it. Can I ask you a question? Are you afraid? 
to love? If so, give God a second chance and learn to open your heart again and see what God will do. Will you stand with me this morning? Roxy, I didn't get to preach the whole thing. I preached in the first service, did I? I want to do me a favor. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not even going to call out your name. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want anyone looking around. Even when there was one looking around, I called them out. Because I want this to be a very sacred time. I want you to close your eyes. and No one, please, looking around. This pastor wants you to be liberated and free. You say, Pastor, I need to let go. It's hard for me to love. I got anger and maybe bitterness and things in my life. and I'm not able to love openly and freely like I should because I've carried past baggages and things in my life, and I want to let it go. There's no one looking around. Thank you for being reverent. Thank you. Thank you so much. You say, Pastor, will you pray for me? All I'm going to ask you to do is slip your hand up, and I'm going to pray. That's you. Yes, look at this. Wow. Look at this. All over the place. Holy cow. Wow. Look at this. It's still going up. I'm going to count to three. Don't miss this call. God wants to set some feet. They're still going up. One. Another one. Thank you. They're still going up. Anyone else? Two. Yeah, still going up. Wow. Still going up. Wow. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. People crying just all over. Wow. Oh, thank you. Come on. There's three. Anyone else? Anyone else? Man, we got people putting double hands up. And put them down. Look at me now. No one's looking around. First of all, over half this congregation, I want you to know, raise their hands. So you're not in this boat alone. Let me just tell you this. You're not in the boat alone. So today, will you do me a favor and just receive? I want to pray over you today. And my prayer is that God will liberate you and set you free that you can love again. Perfect love cast out all fear. You can start walking down that road again. Father, come on, receive. I pray over this wonderful, wonderful congregation. I pray in the matchless name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus, that which we magnify becomes bigger in our hearts. God, become big in our hearts today. That God, you say he that the Son sets free is free indeed. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will set the captives free from fear, worry, and doubt, from hurt, discouragement, lack of expectations that were broken in their lives. I pray that, God, they will learn to love again. They will let go of maybe unforgiveness, hurt, and pain. And that, God, that they will have a clean house, a clean temple, a clean life with you, God, and with others. That today, God, they will make a choice, as I said in the beginning of this sermon, that we determine our days by what we choose to rejoice in and how we choose to give you praise. I pray that today you will set the captive free. In Jesus' name, wash him with your blood, cover him, we pray. And Lord, we thank you that we can love again, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us. Thank you for this congregation. Bless them and keep them. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Can we do that? Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Learn to love again. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If this message has encouraged you in any way, 
please consider giving to Adventure Church to help continue this ministry. Giving is safe and easy through our website at www.adventurechurchsiren.com. Thank you for your generous support.